This podcast is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, check out our website at communitycovenant.net. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with their income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. And then in 1 Timothy, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we have brought nothing into the world, and we take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will, we will be content with that. There it is, the, the wonder of technology, just a tap and boom, your sermon's right there. Uh, I've been married for 28 years, and um, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, there's, there's plenty of people that have done that, but um, I would say that over the course of those 28 years, there are some reoccurring conversations that, that have taken place in the life of our marriage, and you know what those conversations are, don't you? Those of you who've been married for any length of time? Like how we raise our kids, how much slack we give them, how much we clamp down on them, you know, uh, whether tonight's going to be the night or not. Uh, <laughs> that's about as explicit as I'm going to be here. <laughs> My wife is going to kill me if that gets back to her. <laughs> But the conversation that probably has had the most long-lasting uh, discussion in our life is the conversation that takes place about, you'll never guess what, money. In fact, just the other day, my wife and I had this conversation, and I, you know, I, I don't need to go into the details about it because they're all the same, and they're the same as the ones that you have uh, for the most part. And um, today we're going to be looking at uh, family matters, and we're going to particularly be looking at family matters uh, in relationship to this issue of money and the kind of impact that it has on our on our family life. Now, if you'll recall, a, a couple weeks ago, I uh, started out with the proposition that there are no perfect families. So, what I've just said to you just a moment ago further underscores: there's no perfect families, and not not even mine is perfect in that regard. Um, and I said to you that because there are no perfect families out there, we should cut ourselves a little bit of slack so that we can live out God's unique vision for our family and our particular situation. And, and I was not prepared for the impact that that was going to have on many people in this congregation. I, I, I heard a lot of really uh, thoughtful and thankful comments that I, I, for some reason we live in a world that... that makes us believe that we have to be perfect all the time. And, and so that was, I'm really glad that that happened. Last Sunday, Pastor Neil, as you will recall, did a, an excellent job kind of zeroing in on the way we can live our, our family commitments, whether we are married or single, divorced or widowed. And he talked a little bit about uh, uh, Paul's encouragement to us to love and serve and mutually submit to one another. You, you remember that if you were here. 
And uh, we, we can do this, Neil said, by basically asking one very simple question. That question is, can I help you? What a novel idea that we simply enter into our relationships with the people that we love the most by asking, can I help you? And then uh, today we're going to follow up, as I said, by looking a little bit at this, this happy topic of money. Let me give you a couple statistics before uh, I launch into this. Consumer Reports, which is a, probably a well-documented magazine, states that the typical household has $38,000 in debt, and that total has almost tripled since 1980. That's the typical household. So if you're in there, if you're, in there you're in the ballpark. In 1980, the consumer debt was $1.3 trillion. I have no idea how much that is. I can't even conceptualize that much money. And today, the, the debt is approximately $3.3 trillion. So you, you, you kind of get the picture. The Wall Street Journal, another you know, venerable newspaper that some people read uh, who are in the business of money and finance, it reports that 70% of Americans live from paycheck to paycheck. Been there, done that. And a Marist poll states that 55% of Americans always or sometimes worry about their money. 55% of us lay in bed at night worrying about our money, whether we're going to have enough or if we have too much, where we're going to invest it. You know, we worry about it. Then Crown Financial um, Ministry has said this about money and marriage in particular. It says, money is one of those major causes of friction in a marriage. <laughs> Tell me something I don't know. And it's no wonder, they say, living in a world in which we are constantly worried about taking care of ourselves. It's easy to forget that marriage is a commitment to forge a new life with another person. The lack of trust emerging from our society has created prenuptial agreements, and separate bank accounts, these undermine the commitment to, to a shared life with a spouse and are contrary to biblical teachings. And then they say this, and this is the part that I want you to hear. How you handle your marriage in the context of finances and how you handle your finances in the context of marriage will go a long way toward determining whether or not you will have a life that is really worth living. In other words, how we face the challenge of managing our money in our marriage will influence our level of satisfaction in our marriage and, un and ultimately impact our quality of life. Notice what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that we're going to stop arguing with our spouse about money. I don't have any illusions about that. But I think this, I think this is profoundly true. And, and I'm thankful because the scriptures abound with advice to the follower of Jesus about the importance, the role of, and the place of money in our lives. There's no, there's no um, lack of places in the Bible where Jesus or the Apostle Paul, or even in the Old Testament, uh, talk about the role of money in our lives. So it's, it's not something that kind of gets slipped under the rug, uh, biblically speaking. 
And my desire for us this morning, this, this is really my desire, is that we grab on to a couple of principles that I'm going to lay out for you this morning and maybe just uh, see if one or two of them might work or might change the dynamic a little bit in our family when it comes to that, that, that ongoing conversation about money. You don't have to try all of them, but uh, why don't you try one of them? And we'll, you can choose which one, and you'll, you'll find out what they are in just a minute. And now, you're going to have to decide, uh, of course, whether this is a, a, a path down which you want to walk, because if you walk down this path, there's discomfort when you talk about money. And uh, I want to also say that the principles that that we're going to look at, they apply to us, I think, whether you're rich or whether you're poor, whether you're debt-free or up to your ears in debt, whether you're making your bills every month or whether you're finding that there's not enough paycheck left at the end of the month for all your bills. I think these work in any of those situations, but let's find out. Uh, First of all, I want you to take a look at this video. Just a few more days and baby makes five. I can't wait to meet this new little life. But my mind is spinning with questions. How is it possible to be at such odds within myself? You know the struggles we've had. The sleepless nights, the complications, the medical bills. You know the deep depression that nearly claimed me. I don't want to walk through that valley again. We're down to one income now. Even that has been cut by 6%, while our health premiums have risen by 25. And this high deductible insurance plan, it's crippling us. We can't afford to pay everything out of pocket. We've already dipped into our savings to tithe, and now that's running out. It seems like we look around and see so many people who aren't struggling dual incomes, healthy babies, inexpensive health insurance. Some of them actually have it pretty easy and they don't even realize it. We try to be faithful with what little we've got, but sometimes I wish we had a little bit more. Still, we have never been without. We've always had food on our table, clothes on our backs, a roof over our heads, and somehow we pay the bills. Thank you for providing for our needs. Help us not to become ungrateful by focusing on our wants. Make us strong, because sometimes it's hard to live by faith. Sometimes it is hard to live by faith. Isn't that true? So here, here's the first principle that I want to offer to you this morning comes from Psalm chapter 24, verse 1, and it is this, everything belongs to God. The psalm reads like this, the earth belongs to the Lord, and so does everything in it. The world belongs to him, and so do those who live in it. I can imagine for a moment that the psalmist, maybe it was David, maybe it was somebody else, but if it was David, he spends his early life 
taking care of sheep because he was a he was a shepherd. And I can imagine that as he wrote this psalm, maybe in his mind's eye, he was he was it was a, a star filled night as he was sitting out, keeping an eye on the sheep and he was overwhelmed by the beauty of creation, or, or maybe he was sitting in tall grass by a small bubbling stream. And, and, and I, I can't help but think that as David is writing this down, he's got sort of the expansive character of God and God's world in the back of his mind. The earth belongs to the Lord, he says, and so does everything in it. The world belongs to him, and so do those who live in it. The most important principle... For us to keep in mind, and I believe the most important principle that forms the basis of everything else that I'm going to say this morning is this. It's not yours, it's God's. It's not yours, it's God's. God's ownership of everything is is pretty much a foreign concept for many of us. We like to think of our money and our possessions and our stuff, yet the Bible is very clear that God owns everything. All things were created by Him for Him, says Colossians. Everything belongs to Him. The Lord our God belong the heavens. To the Lord our God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it, Deuteronomy. For every animal in the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills, Psalm 50. The world is mine, and all that is in it, Psalm 50 again. The the silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty, Haggai. Now, if you're not convinced of this principle, that's okay. This, this might be the place where you need to begin thinking about your life and your finances in relationship to your family life. This might be the place. If, you see, if we're unclear about who really owns our stuff, then before we move on to some more substantial conversations about money in our marriage, we need to spend some time here. The earth belongs to God. It's not ours. If one spouse gets this and the other one doesn't, which, which often is the case, there's friction. I've seen it many, many times. Because one spouse says, this isn't my stuff. I've been blessed. I want to give some of this away. And the other spouse who doesn't get this principle is saying, hey, wait a second. I worked really hard for this. I put in a 60-hour week last week. You know, I worked my tail off to get that quarterly bonus that is going to enable us to get a new car or take a vacation to Mexico, whatever. You know the struggle if one person in that household gets this principle and the other one doesn't. And I think what also happens is that there's this, there's this vast disparity. If, if you don't get this and one person in the house does get this, it changes everything about the way you think about the resources that God has given to you. It changes everything. The psalmist says the earth belongs to the Lord and so does everything in it. That's the first principle. Is that the principle that God is calling you to think about and to have conversation about with your spouse or your family this week? The second principle of faith in the family budget comes from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, and I'm going to, we're going to take a look at this passage right now 
And it goes like this. Now, I want to deal with the offering of money for God's people. Wow, that's really small. It's not that small up there. Okay. Um, what I told the churches in Galatia to do. On the first day of the week, each of you should put some money away, Paul says. The amount should be in keeping with how much money you make. Save the money so that you won't have to take up an offering when I come. When I arrive, I will send some people with you, your gift to Jerusalem. They will be people you consider to be good, and I will give them letters that explain who they are. If it seems good for me to go, also, they, they, uh, then I will go. What Paul's doing here in this passage is he's making arrangements with the Corinthian church for, that, for them to, to give an offering to the church in Jerusalem. See, even in the first century, not all churches were the same in terms of their access to resources. It's not unlike here in Alaska. Not all covenant churches are the same when it comes to the resources that God has given us. But what Paul is suggesting is that those of us who have resources uh, galore, then plan, prepare to give some of that away. So the principle, too, that I, I want to point out to you this morning is this. Intentional generosity is better than impulsive giving. Intentional generosity is better than impulsive giving. Intentional generosity is always better than impulsive giving. Paul says, on the first day of the week, each of you should put some money away. You know what happens in the first day of the week, right? That's where the people of God gather to worship God. So Paul is, in effect, referring to the act of worship as an expression of our offering from God. So when I hear people say to me, you know, oh, why, why do you... Every time I turn around, the church is talking about money, you know, blah, 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 blah. Folks, part of our act of worship is recognizing that the, that the earth is the Lord's and that which God has given us is our responsibility to intentionally give away. And I am uh, delighted that this church and the leadership of this church understands that. On Christmas Eve, we could have hoarded all of the resources that we uh, uh, received that night but we gave it all away and did some good for, for some people in this community. Paul is saying, in effect, as an extension of our act of worship on the first day of the week, let your worship be an act of generosity. Now, by implication, Paul is suggesting there, that there's sort of an intentionality here to our, our giving. Paul, plan ahead, Paul is saying. Count the cost. Consider the character of, of generous God and respond with that same kind of generosity. In other words, how much longer are you going to just sit there, Paul is saying, and watch the, the collection plate go by and come up with another good excuse why you can't be generous? And I could probably say the same thing to some folks here. How much longer? How many more excuses are there going to be? It's an act of worship, folks. God, God models this, 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 this intentional generosity to us all the time. Somebody has put it like this. They've said, God is ridiculously generous. If He were simply a human we would call him generous to a fault or, or crazy. 
there is no getting around the fact that God is persistently generous, whether we are paying attention or not. He is providing for those in need and preparing new outlets for his generosity every day. So after we've gotten straight that, that, that all of the stuff that we have belongs to God, principle one, the, sex, the next uh, consideration is whether we will be intentional about our own generosity. So that's principle two. Intentional generosity is better than impulsive giving. Now principle three. One size does not fit all. Proportional planning results in more opportunities to be generous. One size doesn't fit all. Paul says it like this. The amount should be in keeping with how much money you make. And he encourages the Jesus followers, in, in Corinth at least, to be intentional in their generosity. And he's quick to add that, our, that our, our budgets aren't all the same. And even though we sometimes would like the Scripture to be much more directive and specific about what we should do in this case or in that case, it isn't. Each of us has to deal, has to wrestle with this issue of money and generosity in our own context, in our own set of circumstances, because none of us are the same. This is one of those cases where we can't pass the buck to somebody else to decide for us. And, you know, and I've often thought about that as a pastor. You know, would it be better for me to simply say, okay, if you're going to be part of my church, here's how much you've got to give. And I've thought about it, and I've thought, you know, th- that kind of takes the joy out of it, <laughs> you know. It's like being a member of a, one of those animal clubs where you pay your dues whether you go to it or not, right? Rossi and I have practiced uh, the principle of giving away a percentage of our income, 10%, uh, for our entire married life. And I may have mentioned this uh, at some point already. But uh, sometimes we receive gifts from people or, or gifts that we weren't expecting for a variety of reasons that are not part of our regular income stream. They, they just kind of come in out of the blue. And, and we have enjoyed giving a percentage of that gift away as well. Sometimes we give it to a person who we know is really in a place where they need something right now. Sometimes we give it to a ministry. Sometimes we give it to an organization. But this is, this is what we do. In fact, uh, recently, I don't know, in the last two or three years, we received a significant gift of, of money. And so we took that and we took a tenth of that amount and we gave each, of, each member of our family somewhere between two and three hundred dollars. You know, and all the, all the finance guys right now are going, okay, that means, yeah, it was about five grand or six grand, I don't remember, something like that. So we gave it to our kids. We gave them cash and we said, give this away. And the only rule is you can't give it away to a friend so that somehow you benefit by your generosity. And it was really, it was really wonderful to let our kids wrestle and think about and wonder how could they use this extraordinary amount of money for them for, for the benefit of, of somebody else. And in one of our children's cases, it was really easy. They knew exactly where they were going to give it. Boom, boom. In another kid's uh, case, they couldn't, they couldn't decide. So we, we had to help them. But, but that's the way uh, we have practiced our generosity. And I think that's what 
Paul is suggesting in this, in this text. Principle three, proportional giving results in greater opportunities for us to be generous. Principle four, plan for the future because the future always plans for us or on us, depending on how you look at it. Plan for the future because the future always plans on us. Let me just take a quick poll. Is there anyone here for whom the future has not come or is not coming? Go ahead and raise your hand. Yeah. The future is, is, is steaming down the track right now toward us. And Paul says, save the money so that you won't have to take up an offering when I come. Plan for the future. In other words, think about your future and make arrangements for what God wants to do through you then. Live within your means now. But don't forget to set aside some, some, some resources for the future. Now, the most startling aspect of our most recent economic crisis that we've all lived through, and I, hopefully we're on the back side of it, I hope so, is the extent to which most people's nest eggs, which incidentally is, is the primary basis for their retirement, kind of got whisked away with the radical and rapid decline of real estate value because a lot of people uh, invested a lot of money, probably some people money in their homes they couldn't even afford, thinking and believing that the value of houses was going to keep going up and up and up. I remember when I moved uh, to the Seattle area in 2008, the, uh, I was sitting down talking with the leaders of the church, and we were discussing you know, the costs of housing and how was I going to be able to afford to live here because you could, you could basically buy a double-wide trailer for uh, $500,000 in the Seattle area. I mean, it's just crazy. And one of the financial guys sat there and he goes, hey, for the last 12 years we've had 20% growth a year. I wouldn't worry about it. I'd like to talk with that guy now. He, he was in real estate. But, but at any rate, when the value of our property went down, as you all know, it, uh, a whole bunch of baby boomers that are a little older than me all of a sudden realized they don't have the kind of resources to retire. And so they continued to work, and that, well, at any rate. The point is, good budget planning includes a generosity plan, but it also includes a savings plan for your future. I have a hunch that uh, companies will decreasingly provide these really lucrative retirement funds as they have in the past. That's just a hunch. I, you know, maybe there'll be some companies out there that will, but I, I doubt it. And it doesn't really have to be a lot. That's, I mean, that's the that wonderful thing about this. It can be a little bit. Even if you have little, you, you put aside a little bit, and all of a sudden, over time, it's just... Uh, Amazing what happens to the resources. The point is, good budget planning includes a generosity plan and also a savings plan. Now, there's some people here who might say to me, I thought that the Bible encourages us to trust God with our future. And the implication being, so then I really don't have to plan for my future that much. Well, yes, that's true. God blesses us all along the way of our lives if we pay attention, not only financially but in every other way. 
God will provide for us in our time of need. We all know that from our own experience, or many of us do at least. And if we look to the future, the future always comes, and we can become part of God's plan, generosity in our futures if we make intentional plans now. Sounds a lot like Dave Ramsey, doesn't it? I don't know if you read about this person a few years ago. She, um, she was working in the laundry room for a college somewhere down in the South. So those of you who are from the South... Maybe you remember this story. She spent her entire career washing sheets and, and doing laundry. And she died, and she, in her will, she bequested hundreds of thousands of dollars back to the university. How'd she do that? Well, I think she did it because she understood the, the principle that the future um, the future always plans on us, so we better plan on the future. The final principle this morning about m- money and family life I want to recommend to you is this. It comes from Paul's letter to Timothy, and it goes like this. You gain a lot when you live a godly life, but you must be happy with what you have. And here it is. We didn't bring anything into the world, so we can't take anything out of it. You didn't bring anything in. So you can't take anything out of it. The basis of this principle of budget planning extends past our lives. That's, that's what's going on here. We can make decisions now that affect not only our kids' future, but other people's kids' futures. You see, the secret of contentment, whatever your station in life is understanding that when all is said and done, all of us will leave this world someday. How much we pay for the box that we will be uh, occupying when we leave this world might differ, but there is no question that every single one of us is going to be occupying some box, some place. The financial legacy that we leave will determine primarily by how we live now, how we have planned, and how we have given our stuff away throughout our lives. The principle of you can't take it with you is really a great sort of bookend, if you think about it, to the first principle that I spoke of a moment ago. It all belongs to God, and you can't take it with you. Those, those are the bookends of of, of of what I've been trying to say to you this morning. And if there are people here today who, um, who are struggling with the reality of this principle, maybe in your own head or in your own marriage, I invite you to think about it, to consider it, to ponder it. The world belongs to God. I'm here for a short time. I can't take it with me. If, if we were to figure those two principles out, I assure you that the way we manage the resources that God gave us would be entirely different. Rather than impulsive giving, we would engage in intentional giving. Our generosity, we would see it not as, what's the least amount I can get away with and feel good about being generous to What is the proportional amount that God is giving me that I am responsible to give away? And I think we would would plan much more intently for our future and for the future of others with the resources that God has given us.
If you find yourself to, to here today and the topic of money is one of those topics that you and your spouse or members of your family, whoever, argue about from time to time, it's okay. Because my wife and I do too. But I want to encourage you to consider tackling this, this subject of, of money in your family life by choosing one or more of these principles that I've outlined for you and just begin a conversation, okay? Just begin it. Hey, hon, what do you think about that idea that the earth is the Lord's and it's not our stuff? What do you think about that? Uh, I think that's just a bunch of poppycock. Okay, you're going to have to start from a different angle if that's what your response is. Or maybe you choose another principle. Hey, hon, what do you, what do you think about the fact that um, you can't take it with you? I, I dare you to say to your spouse, oh, I think that's a bunch of poppycock. Uh, no, it isn't. That's a, that's a harder one. But the point is this. Have the conversation. Because I believe that you will be surprised where that conversation might take you if you remove sort of the emotion and, and the reactionary character of this conversation about money. And, and let me say this to, to you. If you're not a follower of Jesus yet, and there are some here, um, you don't have to be excluded from this practice of, of these principles. I don't think it has anything to do with whether you follow Jesus or not to, to be able to manage your resources well and have a relationship with your spouse where you can actually talk about it. Because I believe that a, a life that is well lived is a life that, that understands the real joy and the contentment that comes from something other than how much we have, how much we consume, how much we own, and how much we have in the bank. There is something else that deeply brings us contentment. Are you ready to have that conversation with God, with your spouse, with your family member? It's not going to be easy. Trust me. But it'll, it'll be worth it. Let's pray.